China's pneumonia outbreak may be making its way across borders. Several countries, including the U.S., reporting a sudden surge in cases at an alarming rate. Homework zones set up inside China's pediatric hospitals, made for sick children to keep up with their studies while receiving treatment. Tragedy strikes as a U.S. military aircraft crashes into the sea off Japan's coast, killing at least one. That's amid increasing Chinese military assertiveness near the region. And a defiant flare-up against the Chinese regime one year ago, commemorated by lawmakers on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The pneumonia outbreak in China is putting other countries on high alert. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, said it's communicating with Chinese health officials. A spokesperson for the agency said it would continue to monitor the situation. That's as a wave of mycoplasma pneumonia sweeps through China. Children's hospitals across China are overflowing. One hospital in Tianjin seeing 10,000 patients per day. Some medical staff have been ordered to work around the clock to deal with the peak. Over in the U.S., 11 states are seeing a jump in recent COVID-19 hospitalizations. Examples include New York, Pennsylvania, California and Arizona. Over 18,000 COVID-related admissions were recorded in the week ending November 18th. An over 9% increase over the previous week. Hospitals in Washington, D.C. are also reportedly seeing an uptick in sick visits. That's according to Fox News. Beyond America, countries including France and the Netherlands also report a surge in pneumonia cases. China's new outbreak is keeping its neighbors on edge. India is reassessing its medical resources, taking steps to make sure health workers have enough supplies should a similar outbreak happen on its own soil. Vietnam asked the WHO for more information on China's outbreak. Taiwan is also putting its airports on high alert, urging travelers from mainland China to seek medical help if they exhibit symptoms. Back to China, how severe is the country's outbreak? The answer is we don't know. The regime claims there's no new pathogen, that the normal sickness uptick in winter plus weakened public immunity after lifting COVID-19 restrictions contributed to the recent surge in infections. But there may be more to the story. NTD learned that Beijing has ordered top officials to downplay the current outbreak and avoid using the term COVID-19. Though some Chinese residents told NTD that the symptoms appear similar. News reports say several different kinds of viruses are raging now. The symptoms of mycoplasma pneumonia are very similar to those of COVID-19. I have a runny nose and a lot of phlegm. Beijing has a history of suppressing medical news. When authorities first discovered the COVID-19 virus in 2019, they silenced doctors who tried to warn their colleagues. When the COVID-19 pandemic first broke out in Wuhan about three years ago, the city saw a major death toll. At the time, authorities halted domestic flights to and from Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak. But millions of Chinese citizens were still traveling abroad, unknowingly carrying the virus with them. With global health concerns circulating, here's a glimpse at how China is battling the outbreak. Chinese children with IV drips in one arm and doing homework with the other. 
The bizarre scene is becoming a common one nationwide. The mysterious pneumonia is presenting a new problem for school-age kids, balancing their medical treatment schedule and education. To help, hospitals across China have set up homework zones. Take a look at this picture. It looks like a school, but it's actually a health clinic in Wuhan. Full of desks and chairs, kids fill up the hall to study. In the major port city Nanjing, this children's hospital also assembled a homework zone. China's capital Beijing and major business hub Tianjin are facing similar challenges. Hundreds and thousands of sick children there are also waiting for treatment and studying while they wait. The health-to-homework crossover has caught social media attention outside China as well. One related post on X, formerly Twitter, already has nearly one and a half million views. But many of the comments aren't so supportive, often criticizing the parents and healthcare workers involved. One reads, quote, terrible idea. Sick kids should be resting, not studying. At the same time, other posts say tragedy has already struck, reporting that a 15-year-old student jumped off a building, burdened with the stress of both school and sickness. At the same time, Chinese parents are complaining about pressure from China's education system, saying they have little choice but to push their kids. In response, Beijing authorities said six students are not advised to study while recovering. Standing up to the Chinese Communist Party is no easy feat for citizens inside China. Nevertheless, thousands are doing it anyway. This week, U.S. lawmakers and human rights activists are commemorating those voices of freedom. NTD's Melina Weiskup joins us with more from the Capitol. In an event right outside of the U.S. Capitol this evening, a group of Chinese dissidents and human rights activists are trying to remind the world that the Chinese Communist Party's grip on its people may not be as strong as it seems. And that's clear not only from the people who are commemorating the white paper movement today, but also with the white paper movement itself. So just to take you back to exactly how this all started, well, around this time last year, there were tens of thousands of Chinese people who took to the streets holding up pieces of blank white paper in protest of China's zero COVID policy, but not only in protest of that policy, also calling for an end to the Chinese Communist Party and the dictatorship. What that would take to risk your life in a regime like that to speak on behalf of truth and protest tyranny, I think that should give us all who are lucky enough to live in the free world some courage to do whatever we can uh, to protect the freedoms we have. Year after year, more and more Chinese people are standing up to demand their basic human rights. Year after year, the change is happening. Took it upon himself to read off a list of names of people who were actually involved in the white paper protest movement who are still being detained in China today. I also got a chance to catch up with lawmakers about the commemoration of this white paper freedom movement, and they said this is something that should be encouraged because it is a beacon of hope. So it's actually a little glimmer of hope that that still uh, that China's uh, stronghold on its people is not as strong as they think it is. And encourage them to continue with that for the cause of freedom around the world is to acknowledge their sacrifice and uh, and applaud their sacrifice. I think it's important to continue to do that. And this has to happen organically within the country. 
And this comes at a time when there's a new undiagnosed pneumonia breaking out in China and spreading, causing hospitalizations to spike. Now, this is raising concern among lawmakers here in Washington, D.C. Many of those whom I spoke to said that they're very concerned about the issue of transparency in the data coming out from China, saying that they don't even know how serious this pneumonia is because China uh, recently covered up the COVID-19 pandemic, which caused millions of deaths around the world. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. At least one person is dead after a U.S. military aircraft crashed into the sea off the coast of Japan Wednesday. Five others were on board. About 54,000 U.S. troops are stationed in Japan, many of them in the country's strategically important southern island chain. That's as China becomes more assertive in the South China Sea. Japan's Coast Guard said it found what appeared to be wreckage from the U.S. Osprey aircraft and one dead person. Fishing boats found three people in the surrounding waters, but their conditions are unknown. Witnesses say the aircraft's left engine appeared to be on fire as it approached an airport for an emergency landing. Numerous Osprey crashes have been reported over the years, including one in August. That's when three U.S. Marines were killed and several others injured during military exercises in Australia. Chinese fast fashion brand Xi'an planning to woo U.S. investors with an IPO. But allegations of forced labor in China may be standing in its way. A congressional panel released a new statement following those reports. It says Xi'an's claims of taking supply chain transparency seriously aren't supported by the committee's investigation. NTD's Emma Xi has more. Chinese fast fashion giant Xi'an is seeking an IPO in the United States. The firm is extremely popular in the U.S., where it's seeking to raise billions of investment dollars. It's interesting that they're trying to grow so quickly, especially when they have so many uh, PR considerations and, and problems that they still have to address. Attorney John Conway specializes in intellectual property issues. He says Xi'an faces allegations of forced labor in its supply chain, which Xi'an has denied. It's also reportedly facing over 50 intellectual property infringement lawsuits. They are notorious for ripping off independent artists. They take their patterns and, and turn around and use them in their fast fashion without recompense. And I know there are several lawsuits with that. They add up quickly. They could stop production on, on some things. Uh, it will be a drain on their income. Legal fees. Conway says Sheehan also has a PR problem. Companies may not want to work with a firm that has such a reputation. We decided to not work with them and decline the opportunity. They were really eager to get Sterling Forever to sign up and do business with Sheehan. Um, they wanted our product on their site um, and they wanted to move fast. It was it was very fast moving. Let's get this done. Can we sign today? Kind of conversations. Mike Cook is the founder of Sterling Forever, a luxury goods retailer. He says Sheehan reached out to him back in July. They went through rounds upon rounds of conversations to see if they could partner up. But ultimately decided his core values didn't align with Sheehan's. Sheehan's got a bad reputation on the street, and I don't think that's going to play out favorably for them. Despite the reputation, Sheehan is extremely popular. It was the top research brand in over 113 countries last year. Sheehan reportedly uses a propriety algorithm that searches the web to discover what people find fashionable, and then uses this data to create designs on inexpensive clothes. The firm has disrupted the entire fashion industry with its $5 skirts and $9 jeans. Emma Shi, NTD News.
News for dozens of Hong Kong's top pro-democracy figures on Wednesday. They've learned when they can expect a verdict, close to three years after being arrested. They're being tried under the Chinese regime's national security law. Prosecutors and lawyers made closing speeches in court two years after the group of 47 Hong Kong activists and politicians were charged with conspiracy to commit subversion. That was for holding an unofficial primary election in 2020 to decide who should take part in city lawmaker elections. The 47 defendants include elected lawmakers and young protest leaders, including Joshua Wong, along with academics, journalists and medical workers. Many say the plan was part of the oppositional politics that have long been allowed in Hong Kong. Prosecutors say it amounted to a massive, well-organized scheme to subvert Beijing's rule. The Chinese regime imposed its vague and sweeping national security law on Hong Kong in 2020 after the 2019 protests. A national security judge in the case said Wednesday a verdict could be expected in early 2024. 67-year-old pro-democracy protester Grandma Wong was outside the courtroom. Police escorted her away for waving a British flag. She later returned with a sign that said, Free 47, Free All. A North Korean trade town now emerging as a focal point for the isolated country's connection with the outside world. But shipments leaving the area aren't carrying ordinary goods. Instead, they transport weapons. What's really happening in Pyongyang's special economic zone? Here's more. This is the Rason Special Economic Zone, once a North Korean experiment in limited capitalism that now appears to be the epicenter of the isolated country's growing ties with Russia. That's according to regional experts who say it includes possible shipments of arms for the war in Ukraine. Rason was established in the 1990s on the border with China and Russia. It was a dream destination for many North Koreans, with its booming markets selling imported goods. There were many electric bikes imported from China that couldn't be seen in other areas, and motorbikes and cars. That's Lee Chan-wo, a North Korea economy expert at Taekyo University in Japan. Officials from Seoul have told reporters that an estimated 2,000 containers suspected of carrying artillery shells have been sent from Rason's port though the Kremlin has denied such shipments. Satellite images also suggest a spike in trade over the past year via the rail line to Russia, seen here opening in 2011. Moscow and Pyongyang have been forging tighter ties in the face of what they see as a hostile US-led Western camp. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met with Russia's Vladimir Putin in September in eastern Russia, Kim's first known overseas trip since 2019. China, with its larger economy and deeper history with North Korea, may seem the more obvious candidate to drive a recovery in Rasan. Foreign investments in China hitting a historical low. What are foreign financial firms operating in China facing right now? And how are they dealing with those challenges? A co-founder of Swiss private equity giant Partners Group told Bloomberg he's mostly concerned about Taiwan and the potential for war to break out with China. For him, China's invasion is not a question of if, it's a question of when and how. Partners Group told companies it invested in, make sure that you are not too dependent on China. More than one-tenth of his company's investments focus on Asia. The firm has an office in Shanghai, but is looking to diversify its investments to other Asian countries like Thailand and Vietnam. 
For Goldman Sachs, the biggest concern is the tensions between Washington and Beijing. Chief Executive David Solomon told Financial Times that he believes the tensions could last for years, noting they come down to what he called real differences between the two countries. Because of it, the investment bank has started moving away from its aggressive approach to grab market share in China, a strategy called growth at all costs. Goldman Sachs was one of the earliest financial institutes to set foot in China. It opened its first office there 30 years ago. Geopolitical tensions are benefiting one sector in China, law firms. Hundreds of billions of dollars have been moved out of China this year. As concerns rise, wealthy Chinese are looking to protect their assets. To do it, many are buying up houses, apartments, stocks or other financial products. Some Chinese law firms have likewise expanded beyond China's border to better provide them with legal services. Looking to capitalize on that profit potential, Chinese regulators are reportedly telling some large companies to end their partnerships with foreign law firms, advising them to work with domestic ones instead. Coming up, an unexplained surge of infections is sweeping China. Across the country, patients young and old are overwhelming hospitals and health clinics. Beijing says no new pathogen is at work, instead blaming it on the flu and common wintertime colds. But how trustworthy is that message? And is an even bigger outbreak on the horizon? To discuss, we sit down with John Moody, former executive vice president of Fox News and author of the new book, Just Another Country. His comments after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Hospitals across China are battling a surge of pneumonia cases. Authorities blame the outbreak on seasonal flu infections. Just how concerning is the spike in cases? And can we trust Beijing's message? Joining us to discuss is John Moody, former executive vice president of Fox News and author of the new book, Just Another Country. John Moody, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tiffany. It's always a pleasure. The last time we heard about a mysterious respiratory illness and overcrowding hospitals was the beginning of the COVID pandemic. How would you compare this current outbreak to that? Yeah, I think it's it's early days. We don't really know the specifics of it. Um, China, which has previously over the health, has gotten the WHO to say, you know, this is just regular flu. Don't worry about it. Of course, that's what they said three years ago, three or three and a half years ago, uh, when this virus that we're all supposed to call COVID, so that we don't offend China, uh, was spreading. The the other thing that I've seen is that people are Chinese uh, airlines are still carrying Chinese passengers abroad. So just as it did in 2020 when you had thousands and tens of thousands of Chinese traveling to foreign countries, you've now got perhaps an equal number. I don't know the numbers, but you, you're, but Chinese people are allowed to fly overseas right now, taking who knows what kind of disease with them. To your point, Beijing is also opening up tourism visas to six countries. Now, to your point, Beijing is claiming there are no unusual or novel pathogens in this case. Due to, they're just saying it's due to the current COVID lockdowns. But how far can we trust Beijing, given their lack of transparency when it came to the first pandemic? 
Well, I mean, I think I think that the Chinese government, let's call it the Communist Party, uh, proved itself to be a, a pack of liars in 2020. Uh, they in, they insisted that uh, this this epidemic was caused by animal to human transmission. They rejected all evidence, a mounting amount, a, a large amount of evidence that it had anything to do with the Wuhan virology lab, um, and and unfortunately. A lot of Western countries who don't want to upset the Chinese went along with it. And so we had to call it COVID because the WHO said we had to instead of the Wuhan flu or the Chinese virus. And it, it's just another, I fear that we will repeat the same error that we did in 2020 and say, well, if the Chinese doctors are telling us not to worry about it, we won't. That'll be too little too late when we see the scope of this and realize that there are tens of thousands of Chinese walking around other countries uh, who have not been adequately checked out for, for respiratory illness. On that note, the WHO is saying that limiting trade or travel to China at this time would not be reasonable. Can we trust the WHO this time around? I don't see why. I mean, the, the leadership is the same. Um, the, the structure of its leadership is the same. Uh, the United Nations is petrified of China, and so it doesn't want to do anything that's going to upset one of the members of its Security Council. And, and, and you know, the health of the world be damned uh, as long as China is happy. And I, and I think that it's, it's a sham that so many people have just accepted, oh, the World Health Organization, that sounds like a good thing. We ought to believe them. No, we should not. What should the U.S. and other countries be doing right now? Well, I mean, I think we would have been smart in 2020 to simply um, not allow Chinese citizens into the country. Um, that is that is the first step that any country that cares about the health of its own people would take. We would also be wise, I think, to force, use our force, um, by which I mean political force, uh, to, cre to force the, the WHO to come clean with us. What have you learned from the Chinese? How many people have you sent there to inspect it? Uh, what are the what are the, the the symptoms of this virus? Uh, how do we know that it hasn't already been transmitted to other countries by the Ch Chinese? Make the WHO live up to its name rather than just its its insignia. John Moody, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure, Tiffany. Thank you. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.